Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. The mandible is the only movable bone of the head, and it is innervated by the mandibular division of cranial nerve 5-3. The TMJ receives the blood supply from the external carotid artery. This joint is the most frequently used joint in the human body, which makes sense considering it's used for speech, for eating, chewing, during the digestive process, and I'm using mine right now to record this podcast. The TMJ is considered a synovial joint filled with synovial fluid, which provides lubrication and movement during use. The synovial fluid reduces friction, and it allows for ease of use during the demands on the joint. The demands on the joint vary from patient to patient based on additional factors. It's important for the dental hygienist to really understand the anatomy and the functions of the temporomandibular joint so that a hygienist will be able to easily depict challenges and issues associated with temporomandibular disorders. We're going to talk about that in this episode. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! Now there are three items that are designed to protect the temporomandibular joint. The TMJ capsule, which is a fibrous covering on the bones that make up the joint, is one of the items. The synovial cavity and fluid is the second, and the disc, which is located right between the temporal bone and the condyle. So all three of these are the protective structures that protect that TMJ joint. So starting with the TMJ capsule, it's described as a fibrous covering on the bones, and this completely surrounds the joint area and the condyle. The synovial cavity is divided into two parts, the upper synovial cavity, and this is the part that attaches to the temporal bone, and then the lower synovial cavity, and this is the part that attaches to the condyle. So the synovial cavity, which is that second protective structure, contains synovial fluid, which the membrane lining on the inside secretes the fluid. And this really functions to keep the joint lubricated. As you age, the fluid that's in that TMJ joint decreases. It can also decrease if there's disorders or diseases present in the body or if there is direct injury to this specific joint. So think about what the reduction in fluid would cause for that joint. Knowing that specific fluid function is to keep the joint lubricated when there's more friction and less fluid, there's more issues or problems or tendencies towards problems in this TMJ joint. The articular disc is the third protective structure. 
And this can be described as a fibrous connective tissue that's located right between the temporal bone and the condyle. Remember the squamous part of the temporal bone, that anterior portion. I want you to picture that. And this can also be called the meniscus and it doesn't contain any blood or nerve supply. Now the bilaminar zone is known as the blood supply area of the TMJ. And this is located in the posterior area of the TMJ. This contains some elastic tissue and fibers, and it also provides nutrients to the area. It's important for you to know that innervation of this area is supplied by cranial nerve 5-3, the mandibular portion of the trigeminal nerve. Now, the blood supply to that TMJ comes from the maxillary artery, which is, as a review, one of the main branches off of the external carotid artery. Some of the key anatomical features of the TMJ are located right on that squamous portion of the temporal bone. So you might want to review that. So you have the squamous portion of the temporal bone and the mandible that kind of both come together in tandem to create the TMJ. Now remember that that squamous portion of the temporal bone is located in that anterior portion of the temporal bone. The postglenoid process is described as a small triangular component of that squamous portion of the temporal bone. The articular or mandibular fossa which can be described as a concavity that goes along the zygomatic arch is just in front of that small triangle. The articular fossa is just in front of the postglenoid process. The articular eminence, which is just anterior to the mandibular fossa on the zygomatic arch, dips down in front of that articular fossa. And then the zygomatic process, which extends to join to the zygomatic bone, is just in front of that. So it's really important for you to take a really close look at the temporal bone and all of the components of that squamous section and understand all those different fossa and process and eminence so that you know how the condyle and the disc relate to that. An important key point is that if you're just looking at the skeletal structure, it looks as if the condyle would fit right into the articula or mandibular fossa. When you're just looking at the skeletal structure, it seems like, yeah, that would be a puzzle picture piece. It's important for you to know that that condyle does not actually have any contact at all with the temporal bone because of the disc in between those two structures. There are three true TMJ ligaments, and their major job or function is to hold the joint together and attach the mandible to the skull. So you wanna know the names of these as well as their location and what they do. The temporomandibular, the collateral, and the capsular are the three ligaments. And there are also two smaller accessory ligaments, the sphenomandibular, and the stylomandibular. So starting with the temporomandibular ligament, it extends from the articular eminence to the posterior neck of the condyle, and it basically strengthens and reinforces that joint capsule. 
And this is also another word is a lateral ligament. This is also known as a lateral ligament. And remember, oftentimes in anatomy, there are multiple names for the same structures. And so this is the case. So another function for that temporomandibular ligament is to limit lateral displacement and slipping of the TMJ. It also resists excessive dropping of the condyle, which limits the extent of the opening. The next ligament is the collateral ligament, and this attaches to each side of the condyle. And the function of this ligament is to restrict the movement of the disc itself. I will note that strain on this ligament can produce some pain for your patient. The third TMJ ligament is the capsular ligament, and this ligament surrounds the entire TMJ. It travels from that postglenoid process to the zygomatic process, and it attaches at the neck of the condyle. This ligament prevents separation or dislocation of the disc, a really good protective function of this ligament. Let's take a look at those two accessory ligaments that I mentioned. So the first one is the spinomandibular ligament. And although this ligament is not part of the TMJ and it's just an accessory ligament, it still has an important function. It assists in stabilizing the mandible. So the location of this accessory ligament is that it extends from the lingula in the area of the mandibular foramen to the sphenoid bone. Now this ligament is involved in troubleshooting when you are performing the inferior alveolar nerve block due to its location. And this ligament may actually act as a barrier to the diffusion of the local anesthetic agent. Your needle penetration into that pterygomandibular space during an inferior alveolar block has to contact with that medial surface of the mandible. And you'll learn all about this when you take pain management. The second accessory ligament is the stylomandibular ligament. And this ligament runs from the styloid process to the angle of the mandible. This ligament is taut when the mandible is protruded and is relaxed when the mandible is opened. Now that we've talked about the anatomy of the TMJ, let's talk about the functions and the movements of the TMJ. So at rest, the condyle hangs loosely from the temporal bone and the teeth are just slightly apart at rest. In the condyle in position is in the fossa but not touching the bone behind the articula eminence, but it's not in contact. The two movements, so you have the depression and the protrusion, so gliding in both the upper cavities and rotation in both the lower cavities. The suprahyoids and the lateral pterygoids work together. When you have lateral deviation or excursion, there's gliding in one upper cavity and rotation in the opposite lower cavity. And mainly this occurs in the lateral pterygoids. So those gliding and hinge movements actually work together involving the upper and lower cavities. And we're talking about really small movements here. And that's what results in that depression and protrusion. So keep in mind that the movements are either rotational or hinge, 
and this involves the disc and the condyle together. And there's depressing or pulling down of the suprahyoids and the lateral pterygoid muscles in order for this movement to occur. The gliding movements happen in the upper synovial cavity and the protrusion of the mandible happens with the lateral pterygoid muscle. The retraction movement of the TMJ happens with the temporalis muscle. And you can tell this when you're doing a clinical exam and you have your patient do certain movements while you're palpating or touching these areas. As a dental hygienist, you have to have a basic knowledge and recognition of temporal mandibular disorders. And this is a completely specialty area in dentistry. And there's a vast amount of information. And that is not what we're covering here. What we're covering is really the anatomy and the proper functions. And what you're expected to do is note any irregularities or maybe limited openings or restrictions that a patient might have when you're doing your exam. When you're checking in the assessment phase, if your patient's not able to protrude or retrude their jaw, or maybe they have an S-shaped open or closure during the assessment phase and you're checking how the joint is functioning, these are things that you want to note because it may lead to recognition of TMD. As a dental hygiene student, we would expect that you would note any clinical conditions that you note when you're assessing the TMJ, maybe clicking of the disc or if the jaw is more mobile than normal, or if there's a displacement of the disc where the disc is caught between the condyle head and the articular eminence. This would actually cause that clicking of the disc or crepitus. And sometimes if you note that your patient is grinding their teeth, they might also indicate that they have soreness of their TMJ and there might be muscle or joint pain involved. And you can find this out through your interviewing skills. Your patient might also have arthritis or inflammation of that joint and may already be diagnosed with some arthritis conditions in other areas of their body. So it's important to take note of their TMJ as it relates to that. Sometimes if your patient has malocclusion or is in the process of ortho, there may be additional stress or abnormal pressure placed on the TMJ joint, which may have referred pain in that area. And these are just clinical considerations. Once you have a really clear understanding of the TMJ anatomy and functions, it makes it a lot easier for you to understand some of the things that present themselves in the clinical setting. Patients can present with TMD, which is temporal mandibular dysfunction or disorder. And this is important for you to understand when you are seeing patients that come to you with some kind of discomfort. So temporal mandibular disorder is a disease that's actually associated with the temporal mandibular joint. And patients can have either severe pain or minimal pain and discomfort based on the level of problems that they have. And this is why we always have you palpate the TMJ during your extraoral exam. Just having a popping sound is not a reliable indication. Some patients can actually have muscle spasms and swellings associated with their TMD. One of the most common clinical conditions of the TMJ is crepitus, and this is actually clicking of the disc, 
This happens when the disc is more mobile than it normally should be. And then there can be displacement of the disc, and this happens when the disc is actually caught between the condyle head and the articular eminence. And this is an example of why it's important for you to know the anatomy. You wanna have a picture in your mind of the condyle head and the articular eminence as it relates to the disc so you can really understand where that clicking is coming from and what the function is. Now, some patients will have some pain, moderate, mild, or even severe pain when they present in the clinical setting as a grinder. This is because they're actually creating tired and sore jaw muscles, and so those muscles and joint pain affect the TMJ. And some of the treatment options for patients who are clenchers or grinders are things like mouth guards or muscle relaxers. Sometimes we offer them splint therapy or we'll refer them to the chiropractor for muscle manipulation or relaxation therapy. There are multiple treatment options for patients. Then you have patients who actually have arthritis, which is inflammation of that joint. And we can sometimes treat those patients with low-dose medications. Sometimes patients who are going through ortho will have short stents of TMD because of the undue stress on the joint and the abnormal pressure associated with the ortho. The TMJ can be dislocated, and this happens when the condyle glides a little too far forward, and it may move anterior to the height of that articular eminence. The condyle can't move in a posterior direction because it will cause a muscle spasm, and this can happen when you dislocate the joint through opening too wide, and this can happen when you're yawning. The procedure to correct that is to relax the muscles and the mandible will move down and backwards. This will allow the condyle to slip back into place. Now, if a patient has a dislocation of luxation, they actually need help putting the condyle back in place. You would have to place your thumbs on the occlusal surface with your index fingers beneath the inferior border of the mandible and push down at the same time on both sides to guide the jaw back slowly into place. There are some clinical conditions of the TMJ that happen with age, and so they are age-related issues. The disc can become thinner and degeneration can occur from overtime grinding or stress on it. Sometimes there's changes in the jaw relationship, especially if there's a change in the vertical dimension. So it will change the relationship between how the condyle relates to the disc and then to the articular eminence. Sometimes the jaw will have muscle spasms due to overuse. There are some contributing factors to TMD. Genetic defects or predisposition to TMD issues. Orthodontic treatment of malocclusion where the teeth are moved into the wrong position for centric relation and centric occlusion that doesn't work well with the TMJ. Stress or hyperactive or overused muscles caused from grinding and clenching. Vascular problems, trauma or injury, and you can't rule out poor posture that puts extra stress on the muscles that are associated with the joint. So there's a lot of different contributing factors, 
that relate to this very complex joint that can cause problems in the clinical setting for your patients. When our patients present to us in the clinical setting and they have some kind of pain, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, it's important for us to address these issues so that our patients feel like they're being heard and that their needs are being met. And there are some non-surgical treatment options that you want to inform your patient about. Moist heat is one of the best stress reducers and it really helps relax the muscles associated with the TMJ. And there's things like just taking a moist face cloth and warming it up in the microwave and placing it in front of the joint. And you can show your patient where to place it because you know the anatomy. There are some medications, anti-inflammatories and muscle relaxers that you could provide your patient on a short-term basis in conjunction with some of the moist hot compresses. And it's always a great idea if these initial things don't work to discuss possibly an appliance or splint therapy with your patients. The doctor will dictate a treatment plan that's appropriate for each patient when you present to the doctor during the exam the level of discomfort that your patient is experiencing. And like I said earlier, physical therapy or chiropractors are definitely helpful in this non-surgical arena to really help pinpoint what's causing the discomfort. Now, there are some surgical treatments and options for your patients as well. Sometimes if the disc and the articular eminence break down over time for a number of reasons, that condyle can become misshaped. And so a surgical intervention is necessary for those types of patients. And these are all things that you learn more in depth as you become an experienced clinician. Your focus and job right now is to learn the anatomy, to really understand the anatomy and the function and how it relates to what presents itself in the clinical setting. Good interviewing techniques and skills with your patients will help you further identify what's causing some of the signs and symptoms that you see with your patients, and then things can move forward from there. Being a really good detective in the clinical setting and knowing what questions to ask your patients, along with understanding the anatomy, will go a long way at solving the problem for your patient to get them out of discomfort. And that's the goal. Thanks for listening today. I hope the review of the TMJ anatomy and joint was helpful for you. In our next episode, we will be doing a review of some of the basics that you learned in anatomy and physiology about the cranial nerves. We will review all of the cranial nerves and a couple of different ways that you can remember the names of the nerves and whether or not they are sensory, motor, or both. I hope you join me. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast. Thank you.